It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. My name is Daniil Hartman, and I'm the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute. Today is Monday, September 21st, 2020, and this is For Heaven's Sake, the new podcast from the Hartman's I Engage Project. In each edition of For Heaven's Sake, Yossi Klein Halevi, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute here in Jerusalem, and myself will be discussing a current issue central to Israel and the Jewish world. And then Ilana Steinhain, Director of the Hartman Faculty in North America, will explore with us how classic Judaic sources can enrich our understanding of the issue. At the Hartman Institute, we approach the Israel conversation as we do all our conversations, from a perspective of Jewish values, seeking broad and deep engagement. Our aim is to encourage a serious and respectful conversation on Israel across political lines, promoting understanding and strengthening Jewish people. Today, our theme is national tshuva. In the Bible, Yom Kippur is a day of national atonement, when the community as a whole is forgiven for its individual and collective sins. National repentance, tshuva, only appears as a feature of the Messianic era, a condition for God's return to Israel after years of alienation and exile. The rabbinic tradition innovated the obligation of individual and collective repentance as a necessary component of both Yom Kippur and everyday life. Failure is a given, but accepting and perpetuating it is not. With our return to sovereignty, with the rebirth of Israel, the idea of national repentance on an annual and an ongoing basis takes on new meaning and importance. As we discussed in the last podcast, like every nation and individual, the reality of Israel will always contain a gap between the Israel we have and the Israel we want. Whether we live in Israel or around the world, what Israel does affects us and in many ways also defines and implicates Jewish life as a whole. This is why some of our political debates are so acrimonious. This year, as we approach Yom Kippur, let's engage in reflecting on the idea of Israel and national tshuva. Why is it important? What are its challenges? And most importantly, over what do you believe we need to make tshuva as a nation? Let's begin. Yossi, it's a pleasure to be with you. Let's jump right in. How do you understand? Let's, let's start conceptually. How do you understand the meaning and significance of the idea of national tshuva? Where are you right now? Well, where I am personally and where I am conceptually, unfortunately, is in two different places. Conceptually, I'm completely with the spirit with which you've opened this discussion. Every nation, every collective needs a self-correcting mechanism needs to be able to look at itself as a collective. Uh, in fact, 
one of the defining characteristics of a collective is the capacity for group self-correction and self-reflection. And as you noted, Jewish tradition really uh, makes no distinction between the personal and the collective in a need for penance. That defines us as a community of meaning. It's, it's in some ways, it's, it's a precondition to be a community of meaning. So that's the theoretical. Personally, Danielle, I have to tell you, I ain't there. <laughs> I need your help on this. And I have to tell you, I had a very difficult Rosh Hashanah in terms of my capacity for generosity, for which, which is a prerequisite for national tshuva, because national tshuva has to be a shared effort. And right now, I am not feeling that I have a shared language purpose with large parts of the people of Israel. And, and we can start with our prime minister. Uh, we have marked two milestones in the last few weeks in this country in relation to COVID. The first is that we have the dubious distinction of being number one in the world in terms of the rate of infection proportionally. You know, we love the Jewish people. We love being number one. Well, we're number one. And uh, we are also the first country in the world to go into a second lockdown. And when Netanyahu speaks to the nation, instead of asking forgiveness, he blames everyone else. The opposition is responsible. Uh, the people aren't up to it. The health minister, everyone's to blame except him. So my first instinct is I want to throttle this guy. And that is not coming from a place of generosity. But Yossi, this is all you're pointing to is what needs to be improved. See, you're, you're describing a reality in Israel which needs to be healed. So thank God, Yossi, you also have Yom Kippur coming. So what you wasted on Rosh Hashanah, you don't have to keep on wasting. Now, as a writer, as an educator, as someone who shapes public opinion, your feelings are shared by everybody. But the whole reason for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the reason for national tshuva, is when we understand something's broken. Something's broken. Now, you yourself said to be a community of meaning, requires of us to calibrate over and again, what does that mean? And so we love being number one. <laughs> you know, that goes, by the way, it starts with Leviticus 19, you shall be holy. You know, like, you're supposed to be the best. You're supposed <laughs> to be the best, the greatest, the one most wonderful people in the world. So, okay, so now we're still number one, but we're number one in the wrong direction. So what you're really pointing to is that at this moment, national tshuva seems so far away from our collective consciousness. And where it is, we're in mutual blame, which is the antithesis of national yes. tshuva. What does tshuva start? So I'm trying to help you now. Here it is, we have a few more days till Yom Kippur. So you wasted Rosh Hashanah. But Rosh Hashanah is in many ways also to connect to the problem. And now we're in the 10 days of tshuva, so using this, over what should we make tshuva? Anger doesn't get us anywhere. Here it is, you describe the failure. So how does national tshuva begin, Yossi? So the question really is, in this specific case, when you have a feeling of total disconnect between the public and our 
democratically elected leaders whom we're responsible for. They are our reflection. Maybe that's where tshuva needs to begin. What, how does it begin? Tshuva starts with each one of us, Yossi. What voice do you want to now share? How do you think we could heal? Let's not you do the same thing that Netanyahu is doing. Let's now be constructive. How, what is tshuva, how does it start, Yossi? Right now, in this moment where we are number one, but in the wrong direction, how does it start? Your analysis is what we're all feeling. And by the way, we're feeling it here in Israel. We're feeling it in North America. Every politician now, I've been noticing, no politician gets up and says, oops, I made a mistake. Nothing. Okay, so now we're not doing tshuva. Let's, let's be a model of how it could happen. So national tshuva, I think, begins with the sensibility that's expressed in the verse, kol Yisrael arevim zelazeh, all of Israel is responsible for each other. But the word responsible, arevim, is a very complicated word. Because the, the positive meaning of that is we all take care of each other, we're responsible for each other's well-being. The negative is we're implicated in each other's failures. Every Jew is implicated in another Jew's failure. And what that very profound and frankly disturbing verse is really telling us is that we are a single body in some sense. You have to approach the Jewish people holistically. And if there's something wrong with one part of the Jewish people, there's something perhaps that's wrong with all parts of the Jewish people. And so while it's easy to see Netanyahu embodying this refusal to take responsibility, maybe Netanyahu, as a reflection of our collective being, is showing us something in all of us, in the Jewish people itself, that's flawed, where we're not taking responsibility, each part of the Jewish people, for our failures. I tend, by the way, to agree that one of the reasons why we're number one is that while COVID makes us implicated, whether you like it or not, because we all get infected, we don't feel responsible. I think each one of the 473 tribes of Israel, not the four as the president said, is sort of saying, you know, I can do it. It's only me. It's only me. We're the antithesis of the Kantian categorical imperative, where you're, only, you're supposed to act in such a way that your behavior can be universalizable. So let's start by not blaming, but by saying, what is, how does national tshuva begin? National tshuva begins with a different ethos, an ethos of we're collectively responsible, but tshuva also begins, Yossi, not by pounding the other person's chest mm -hmm. and saying, you have sinned, but by pounding your own chest and saying, I have sinned. And I think part of what's been happening, and I would even tell you, even some of your introduction reflects some of that. I think we're letting ourselves get too angry, Yossi. We're getting too angry at others, and when you get too angry at others, it's the antithesis of a tshuva mode. When you're angry, your radar screen is filled with the failures of other people. I think there's something wrong in the partisan political discourse. And I really want this year, I want us to take upon ourselves a different language. I feel the need for it because I don't want to get stuck. We're not getting anywhere, Yos, in that other story. It's really instructive to compare our success in the first wave of Corona 
and our failure in the second wave. Because in the first wave, we really did have that feeling of we're all in this together, we're all responsible for each other. And there was something beautiful in our ability to act as a society, as a people. That has broken down almost completely now. And, you know, one part of me is listening to you and nodding vigorously and appreciatively. Another part of me is jumping up and down and shouting, but wait a minute, look at what's happening with this lockdown. It's a completely unnecessary national lockdown, and it's been imposed on us for only one reason. The real source of COVID infection, the major source in society today, is happening in two communities in the Haredi, the ultra-Orthodox community, and in the Arab community. And Netanyahu is not shutting down selectively because the ultra-Orthodox community won't let him. So we're all suddenly responsible for each other. And you know, Daniil, the resentment in this society is reaching very dangerous It's really interesting. You know, again, we're, you know, our ideologies and our perspectives so often comes from our personalities. I love the lockdown. I think the lockdown is reminding us that we're in this together. I think the only way Israel could get out of this right now is through the lockdown, is through everybody shutting down. And what you're going to see is who's breaking it, but that'll be a perpetuation of the problem. But I think part of it is to say, given who we are, we're not going to be able to do this individually unless we all collectively stop. And by the way, you'll see even here too, while it might have started from two communities right now, here, the Hartman Institute is in the German colony. I live in Baca. We are in the, the five square miles of liberal, enlightened Israeli society. Yossi, we are a red zone in Baca and German colony. We were green from the beginning. This is just an example. I don't feel it's anymore just one or two tribes, Arabs, Haredim. I think the whole community has sort of just given up. And I think we're spending so much time concentrating on Arabs and Haredim that we're not looking at the shortcuts that we're doing. And so I think there's something really healthy for a society to be forced to shut down and to say, ladies and gentlemen, yes, we are not just implicated right now. We're implicated. We're doing this to each other. I think we need to correct. But, but let, let's shift for a moment. And it, it's natural that when we're talking, Every time we sit down for a meal, every time we're always talking about COVID. There are other things going on. I think this issue of national tshuva. So one issue, what we need to do national tshuva to, we do have to look at the culture of partisanship, the, the mutual hatred that's so deep. There's something toxic going on. But there's another feature of national tshuva that has nothing to do with COVID. And here in Israel, in the Middle East, what are some of the dangers in your mind? Because very often, you know, the, the story in the Middle East is, I can't wait for the lion to lie down with the lamb as long as I'm the lion. In the Middle East, weakness is perceived to be politically dangerous. And it's a big part of our current government's foreign policy and maybe some of its successes. Do you feel the idea of national repentance is possible in a Middle Eastern context? If you're asking whether it's possible within the context of the Arab-Israeli or the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, yes. uh, very risky, because apology could be perceived as a form of weakness, of conceding ground. 
you know, you and I have had this conversation in the past about whether there's place for Israel to apologize to the Palestinians. And in principle, I think that we should apologize to the Palestinians, but only within the context of a peace agreement. If we were to prematurely apologize, you know, the, the hope would be, of course, that it would create a momentum of goodwill. My fear is that the Palestinian leadership would pocket the apology and then turn around and say, well, you see, even the Zionists admit that they're criminals and their country was created born in original sin. It's, it's very risky when, when you're involved in a zero-sum conflict. And the question then really is, where is the, the opening for a dynamic of tshuva to begin to change the conversation, not only internally among Jews, which is hard enough, but how do you do it cross-border? You, you made a very halachic move straight out of the Rambam, where tshuva is immediately connected to the idea of apology. I'm wondering whether that correlation is necessary and whether I know on an individual level it is so, and I accept that apology ultimately has to enter into the story. But I'm wondering whether national tshuva in the context of Israel could be us not living up to who we want to be. You know, we've, we've been talking together and been such close friends for now, I don't know, so many years, and we've changed each other so much. And part of what I've learned from you is how there's the sense whereby you could yearn for something, but the fact that you yearn it doesn't mean that it will be so. And to stop blaming Israel all the time for every shortcoming and failure um, that's taking place. And I hear that again, say, maybe I don't have something to apologize for. But because I don't have something to apologize for, because maybe the other side hasn't fulfilled its part of the deal, like, you know, the famous Israeli line, we offered and they said no. I'm leaving aside whether that's true or not. I think that there might be something really valuable to reclaiming a notion of national tshuva without apology, in which if you're apologizing to anybody, you're apologizing to yourself for not being who you ought to be. You're apologizing to your tradition for not living up to its values. In the real world, in the Middle East, what you want doesn't mean that's what you're going to get, but that doesn't mean that you don't have tshuva. The purpose of tshuva is to remind you of who you want to be so that you could maybe get closer, maybe a day when they'll be interested, maybe a day when, they'll, when you will have a partner. And who knows, maybe if you start speaking a certain way, the other side might speak a certain way. So could you buy into a notion of Israel doing national tshuva and saying, who do we want to be? What would my ideal relationship with Palestinians be? Have I fully stood by the core principles of all human beings being created in the image of God, or have I let racism enter into my politics? Have I lived by the Hillel's statement, what is hateful unto you, do not do unto others? And you know what? It could be they played their part, but did I remember my aspirations? I think part of national tshuva is holding on to your aspirations. This is connecting a little bit to what we talked about last week. How does that sound? If I got it's rid of the apology, beautiful. is it less dangerous, Yossi? It's, it's a beautiful way to approach tshuva in the context of what seems to be an insoluble conflict. And you know, it's interesting, Daniel, you mentioned the Rambam earlier. Uh, the Rambam also says that a precondition or certainly a consequence of tshuva is the ability to say, Ani acher. 
I'm different, I'm other than I was, I'm not the same person who did all of those of those right. deeds. And so the goal, the goal of tshuva is to be able to get to that point where you can say, I'm the acher, I'm, I'm different. See, I understood the Rambam to mean that has to be your starting point. You enter into the process of tshuva by saying, I'm different. And what you're saying is it's a process. That's the end point. At I the see. end point, you're able to say, and the Rambam is, is vociferous about it. He says, you have to be able to shout, to shout, I'm the acher. You know what the Rambam is looking for? It's not at the core apology, it's shame. And I think that a key part of national repentance is can we look collectively and say, I'm embarrassed. And in that spirit, by the way, when somebody critiques you, they're not the enemy because we're not who we want to be. And I think it's really important for us to think about that as we're entering Yom Kippur, whether it's on COVID, whatever society we live in, when our partisan politics requires of us to always be triumphant and not to be able to say, you know what, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because I am not who I want to be. Let's take a break, uh, a short break. And when we return, we'll hear from Ilana Steinem. Hi, I'm Claire Sufren. And if you're listening to For Heaven's Sake, you're probably curious about the major ideas and debates of the day affecting Jews in America. So I have great news for you. I'm the co-editor with Yehuda Kurtzer of The New Jewish Canon, a book that just came out this summer. You can find out more about it at newjewishcanon.com. In this book, we've gathered all Jewish ideas that happened between 1980 and 2015. Well, maybe not quite everything, but it contains major texts and debates that were vitally important to the American Jewish community, along with a series of reflective essays by today's thinkers that explain the debates and their importance. Read about it and how to buy it at newjewishcanon.com. Ilana, Shana Tova, it's so nice to be with you. We're talking about national tshuva. How do you, what sources do you believe could deepen our understanding of the meaning of national tshuva, of the struggles of how we might attain it? Shana Tovah, it's great to be with you. I want to take uh, the prerogative that is mine at coming at a, a different section, which is to move away from realpolitik for a minute. I want to look at two big templates, two big biblical templates for what national tshuva looks like. Because it's true, national tshuva is often in a, in a messianic vein, but there are two incredible instances of national tshuva in the Bible. One is the national tshuva that's precipitated by King Josiah, by Yoshiahu, and the other is the national tshuva precipitated by Ezra and Nehemiah. And I want to compare these two because I think they have some things in common that are powerful that tell us about the way national tshuva may be different from individual tshuva, and also because they have key differences. And I'm going to start with Nehemiah because it's the happy one. We're in Nehemiah chapter 8, and it starts like this. All the people gathered themselves together as one person, ki'ishachad, in the broad piazza, that was in front of the water gate. They spoke to Ezra the scribe and they said, please bring the Torah, the book of Moses, which God commanded to Israel. 
they asked him, please read it to us. And so Ezra the priest, he brings the Torah before the whole congregation and anybody who could hear on Rosh Hashanah, he brings and he reads publicly at their behest. He reads it from the early in the morning until the midday in the presence of everybody. And the first thing that hits you when you read this account is that this is bottom up tshuva. This is a group of people that says, we know there's something wrong. And the second thing is, there's a leader who they can take that to. And the leader responds. And in this response, what do they do? They go back to their first principles. They go back to their founding document. And then something incredible happens. Clearly, when he read this to them, they got sad. They felt shame that they clearly had not upheld their founding document. And so we find that actually they have to say to the people, this day is holy to God. Do not mourn, do not weep, because everyone was weeping. They were crying. So they tell them on Rosh Hashanah, it's about to sound like Purim. They say, go eat, go drink, go send portions of food to each other, like Mishloch Manot, as though it's Purim. Don't be grieved because really it's joy in God that's actually gonna strengthen you. And in the end, that chapter ends with them making a celebration of Rosh Hashanah and then of Yom Kippur and then of Sukkot and a Sukkot that hadn't been from the days of Joshua. It was so joyous, everyone was so happy. And that model really tells you that when you have people who have a sense that there's something wrong, but they know what their founding document is. They know what their first principles are and they know who can lead them and remind them. That is a perfect alignment to allow for a time when the shame, instead of being something that causes mass grief and mass mourning, it's something that causes great joy and something that can harken back to a past. Now I wanna contrast this. Because Josiah, Yoshiahu, his tshuva movement is completely different. You can hear it in the very words of the introduction. This is the second book of Kings, Malachim Bet, chapter 23. Listen to how, instead of starting with a verb that's in the plural, and they all came, it's in the singular. The king, Yoshiahu, went up to the house of the Lord, and all of the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem went with him, the priests, the prophets, all the people, and he read in their ears, like it or not, he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the temple in the Beit HaMikdash. He stood on a platform. He made a covenant before God to walk after God, to keep God's commandments, to keep God's testimonies with all of a person's heart and with all of a person's soul. And he confirms this covenant. Now, what are the people feeling? I don't know what the people are feeling, but he takes initiative. This is the other way around. He says, we have a founding document, people. Don't you remember? We have first principles. I need to be a leader, I need to stand up, and I need to remind you of those first principles. And what happens as a result is actually very different, very different 
It's not joy. It's not happiness. It's not sending portions to each other. It's actually the reverse. He cleans house. Listen to these verses. He broke down the houses of those who were committing prostitution in Jerusalem. He got rid of all of the idolatry. He killed the priests of idolatry and removed their altars. This is not a peaceful kumbaya, we're all in it together. This is, there are things wrong in this society and I am going to do away with them, even though it means I'm not gonna get those people's votes. <laughs> you know, Ilana, like very often we set up two models. We then naturally fall into, what do we need? Well, sometimes we need A and sometimes we need B and we need a synthesis, but I think it waters it down. Of the two, at this moment today in America, does America need number one or does it need number two? And you only had, don't tell me both. Sure. No, I, I'm, I, I told you. No, and maybe um, the answer is both, by the way, but let's try I to know. push it. Let's try to push uh, look, it, be a little harder. There is something about the honesty of Yoshiahu having to do away with the things that are bad in society. There are some things that are simply bad. They are simply wrong and they need to be purged. I actually agree with that. Now, can I tell you, the scary thing is that the things that I think need to be purged, somebody else thinks should be the understanding of the founding document. Meaning it, the reason why Yoshiao has to be the one to do it is because he's not gonna get the people to agree to that. He has to do it. So there really is no national tshuva there is, it's not national tshuva, it's, even the words you use, it's national cleansing. The society has gotten so lost, that there needs to be a moment of recalibration. Uh, look, I, I think about, you know, Lincoln, his famous address discussing the deaths of so many Americans in the Civil War. And he basically says, let's not make this for naught. He doesn't use the word cleansing, but he says, let's make this a cleansing essentially, right? But when it's you no were talking, Ilana, yeah. your voice was singing when you were speaking about Nehemiah. There's something about Nehemiah. That's what you really want, isn't it? Of course. Who wouldn't want the idea of, don't mourn. This is a celebration. We've actually remembered what we're Could about. Could we do it? Could we do it, Ilana? Yossi says we can't. Ladies and gentlemen, we didn't plan it to this level that Yossi's speaking about the separateness and Ilana says that we're there like one person. You literally yeah. were, that's where the break is. Yossi says we can't do that one. Look, the way that you do that, and we're all educators, the only way you do that is through education. You don't do that through politics. I have to be honest. The Yoshiao movement, it doesn't work. Meaning he, he did a great job, but in the end, it doesn't stave off the destruction of the temple. Nehemiah's version worked, Ezra's version worked because the people realized that they needed an education and he was an educator. We need to remind people that there's an adaptive process of education by which people don't change in a whiplash manner. People change when they see something attractive and exciting and meaningful. And how do you create the conditions for a Nehemiah? That to me is through education. But sometimes you get to a point at such an urgent scenario that you need a Yoshiahu. 
right? Meaning I think what Yossi is talking about is he's like, we're in a Yoshiahu moment. I think we're all desperate to be in an Ezra Nehemiah moment. Yossi, are we in a Yoshiahu moment or a Nehemiah moment? I don't life? think we're in either moment because what those two models have in common is a national leader who's taking responsibility, who's, who, who in one way or another is trying to lead a movement of, of penitence. They're two very intriguing models. Our situation today, both in the United States and in Israel, is that we have leaders who operate in exactly the opposite way. And so the question that I'm asking, that I'm asking you, Ilana, is what do we do in the absence of a leader who encourages a spirit of penitence? Here's what I would say. Two things. Number one, you teach the street to ask for it. If you can get people shouting, we want penitence, we want to talk that way, that changes society. If that's a big part of the discourse that's coming bottom up, Ezra didn't do it. The people asked for it. Train the people. And that comes through education too. But there's a second piece, you know, and Danielle said it earlier. It's no great wisdom to go beat your fist against somebody else's chest. You know, there's an incredible description of the way the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, does the confessions for the national tshuva on Yom Kippur. He starts, he does three confessions. He starts with a confession about himself. He then goes to a confession about the other Kohanim, the other priests, and then he goes to a confession for, for all the people. And you know what the Gemara says? This is Yoma 43b. It says, why does he do all three of those? Because better that somebody innocent come and achieve atonement on behalf of the guilty. He's got to make himself innocent first. We got to start with ourselves. Right. I, Ilana, it's a great place for us to conclude today. National repentance. There is no community of meaning without national repentance, without constantly recalibrating. Otherwise, you, you don't direct where you're going, but Realpolitik directs your ideals. Ilana, you kept on using the term first principle. There has to be something about against which you judge what you've created. Realpolitik yes. is about who you are. It's not about who you ought to be. Now, how do we achieve that when there is a moment of such collective brokenness? I, I want to end in an optimistic note. I think part of what we have to stop doing is blaming our leaders all the time. I think we have to take responsibility that we have the leaders that we want. And part of what we need to do is to ask ourselves, who do we want to be? And as we enter into Yom Kippur, it's not just the individual, who do I want to be? It's not just for the individual sins that I possibly have committed towards God, towards my tradition, towards another human being. But it's where have I contributed to my society being lost? And how do I start, take my step to a process of healing? I hope we'll have the strength to begin that. For Heaven's Amen. Sake is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute. It was produced by David Svi Kelman and edited by Tali Cohen. Our managing producer is Dan Friedman and music is provided by SoCal. To learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show. You can write to us at for heaven's sake at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, 
and everywhere else where podcasts are available. My friends, dare to dream. That's the first process of national tshuva, shana tova, and gemar chatimah tova to all of us.